0: Well the the topic Yaruna this month is on gratitude. As I announced at the beginning of the year that the next three years in our church, I truly really felt the Lord prompt me deeply to focus on these three topics Grace, growth, and gratitude. Our main text is Luke chapter 17, reading from verse 11 to verse 19 in the King James Bible. Please allow me to read it and thereafter I'm going to read it again in the Wist translation and I want to point out certain portions of that text that I'd like for you, if you can, either underline, highlight, Whatever device you have, just make sure you make note of that because this is a very loaded passage of scripture or a loaded portions of scripture and story. It came to pass as he went to Jerusalem, this is Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee and as he entered into a certain village, they met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Underline stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus must have mercy on us. Underline voices and mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourself unto the priests, underline that. And it came to pass, as they went, as they went, as they went, as they went, underline as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face, underline glorified God, fell down on his face, giving him thanks and it was a Samaritan, underline Samaritan. I'm underline everything, you know. <laughs> Maybe just to digress a bit, when, you know, back then when we used to use actual Bibles, and not these e-Bibles that we have on our, on our iPads, on our phones, and so on. When you, I don't know about you, but I just still like this, uh, the pages one, you know, this old Bible that looks abused. You know, and revelation is abuse. And so one of the people in church did needed a Bible and asked one of the people, Can I please use your Bible? And so he gave it to them. so he opened them the Bible and he said uh, Wow, look at your Bible, it's, 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 it's almost like a mess, you've, you've underlined everything, it says no, I've only underlined the good parts. <laughs> look at your neighbor who you didn't get that and explain to them. So I like my old Bible, I like to underline, so that when I open these scriptures, they pop out at you, because there are certain truths that can make a mark in your heart. Amen. Amen. Verse 17, Jesus answering said to this Samaritan, we're not ten cleansed, and where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger, and he said to him, arise, go thy way, thy faith has made you whole. Underline that. The whist translation reads, and it came to pass that as he was proceeding on his way to Jerusalem, he also himself was going through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and as he was entering a certain village, they met him ten lepers, men who stood at a distance. If you have the whist underlined stood at a distance. And they themselves raised their voice unto Jesus and said, Master, you have power and authority be sympathetic with our affliction and do something. To help us. God is a sympathetic God. He's touched by the feelings of your infirmity. And he's a responsive God. And having seen them, he said to them, having gone on your way, show yourself as proof to the priests. And it came to pass that while, while they were going, 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 they were cleansed. Underline that, it's important. And one of them having seen, that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorifying God, and fell on his face at his feet, expressing his gratitude to him. And he himself was a Samaritan, and answering Jesus said, were not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? When they, were they not found returning to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, watch this, having arisen, be going on your way, your faith has restored your body to soundness of health. I want to use as a title the question that Jesus posed in verse 17, where are the nine? When you read the Gospels, one of the interesting things you'll find is that each of the authors of the different Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John seems to write about Christ and talk about Christ bringing across certain attributes or certain characteristics of Jesus, him being portrayed, for instance, in the book of Matthew as the son of man. That he was human and God at the same time. And so when you read Matthew, it tries to bring bring across his humanity. When you read the book of John, John really tries to talk to us and show us the side of Christ that was his love. And even the stories in these books, some of them don't are not don't appear in all the books, but most of the stories do compare. Now, look was a follower of Christ, not really one of the 12 necessarily, but someone who wrote mainly to write to a governor by the name of Theophilus. Because Theophilus, who was Greek, was trying to know the story about Jesus because he had heard so much about this Jesus. And so Luke took upon himself to make a very thorough research about Jesus and put down the stories of Jesus. And in his writing, what Luke really brings across about Jesus is that Jesus was a man who was among the people, was among the poor. He was among the struggling people. It was a God who identified with people's plight. And that's the picture that Luke tries to paint concerning Jesus. Very interesting that this story of the ten lepers only appears in the book of Luke. You don't find it anywhere in the other Gospels. And it's an incredible story because the background thereof, where it starts, it starts in a very interesting way where we see Jesus walking towards Jerusalem and is passing between two places that are so opposite to one another. He's passing between Galilee And Samaria, two places so different, so apart from each other. Two places that were bogged down in all kinds of tensions and divisions. And Jesus is passing between the two places. By the way, Galilee was a place where you had what we could call the purebred Jews. These are Jews who never intermarried with other people. And they didn't intermarry with what they called Gentiles. Of course, it was according to what God had instructed them at the time. So they hadn't really intermarried with other Gentiles, and for that reason, they considered themselves as God's chosen people who were totally undefiled. And if you look at the disciples of Christ, the majority of them came out of Galilee, by the way. And when you read the The gospel, there's a lot of things that Jesus did in Galilee. I think I'll talk to you about that sometime. But there's a lot of things Jesus did in Galilee. And this is where, if I may pause, that you, you see, when you see people ignorantly say the Bible doesn't work, it's because they don't study it. And they don't go into the history of it because a lot of what's in the Bible, as much as it took place, in another culture among a certain people, a lot of those stories are very similar to our stories. Many ways. And Look at your neighbour and say, Well But it's interesting the geographic space at which this story is unfolding. Jesus is there between Galilee and Samaria. He's going to a certain village. He doesn't tell us whether it was a village in Samaria or in Galilee, just a certain village, but he is between these two places of a divided people. Galileans who consider themselves as purebred Jews, bonking the Samaritans who were Jews who had intermarried with Gentiles. So these are people of a mixed blood and And according to the purebred Jews, they had violated the law of God, so they were considered as outcasts, as dirty. They actually called them dogs. And they didn't want to have anything to do with them. And so Jesus is walking between these two places that are divided by status, race, and religion. However, it's very interesting when you read about the The lepers in the text, though it doesn't detail to us how many of the lepers came from each community, it's obvious and it's apparent that, and it's a fact that these lepers came from both communities. Somehow these people who, if they had status, pomp, and prestige, they would be sitting in their opposite corners, divided. But because they are people of a common crisis, Because there's something about crisis that reduces you to a certain point. Where you don't think of yourself too much. And so we see these men who their crisis and their common misery has forced them to overlook their fierce national, social, and religious differences. And they share in the common dilemma of being outcasts. And Jesus somehow, when he's walking between these two cities, he's attracted to these outcasts because that's who God is. God's not a God who is attracted by status, pomp, and prestige. Nor is God a God who looks down upon the people who are down and out. He is a God who is attracted to the people that society has pushed out and people that everybody says nothing's going to happen to them. You may be here today struggling with the fact that you are considered as an outcast where you come from. Could be that people have given you a name because people know how to brand us. People know how to put a tag on us. People know how to put a sell-by date on our lives. But I'm here to tell you there's a God in heaven who doesn't treat you that way. And when these outcasts cry out to Jesus, he doesn't ignore them. He listens to them. Because their crisis brought them to that point. And we read in the verse, in the text, that when they saw Jesus, they stood afar off. These guys had been societal outcasts. But it's because also of the prescripts that we find in Leviticus chapter 13. Verse 45 and verse 46 describes that people who had leprosy, they were not allowed to intermingle with other people of society because it was very contagious. It's not long that we came from the days of COVID. Particularly in the early days when you had COVID, you had to be quarantined. You know, in my house, we, we all had COVID, the three of, the three of us, uh, my bishop, our firstborn son, myself. Our firstborn son was the first one to have it. And I remember when he was quarantined in his bedroom, having to feed him, give him food. And I remember I had to put the food at his door and knock. <laughs> and when he opened the door, I was out of there. <laughs> remember having to handle the, the utensils with gloves and wash them in hot boiling water and put every detergent on them, every everything jig. Whatever and all the ratas, anybody remember that day? But leprosy was like that, there was no cure for it in these days, in those days, highly contagious. And therefore, when people had leprosy, they were not allowed to be in cities, they had to stay outside the city in a place where there were no shops, no malls, no sustenance. And oftentimes outside the city, this is where the fierce animals would be, dangerous animals would be. So people who had leprosy, they were dying. It was just a matter of time. Three things could kill them. Could be starvation. Could be the wild animals. Or it could be their disease. So they were dying. It was just a matter of when. It was not a a matter of will it ever happen. And they were told strictly under the Levitical law that when you have leprosy, if you see someone approach from afar and they don't know that you have leprosy, you must shout unclean, unclean and you must stand afar off. So this is what happened. So they're standing afar off. I can almost imagine these men thinking we are dying either Hunger will kill us, wild animals will kill us, or leprosy will kill us. But their crisis causes them to forget about everything and to lift up their voices. Note, the text says they lifted up their voices. Sometimes I wonder when I see people trying to be nice when they pray, nice when they sing praises, nice when they raise their hands to God, It's almost like they don't want to make any kind of noise. But you see, when you're in trouble, you don't care. You don't care who's looking at you. You don't care who's saying what. Because it is your crisis that will determine the passion with which you're going to make the request. And they lift up their voices. And interesting enough, they didn't ask Jesus for anything. They asked him for mercy. They said, Master, have mercy on us. And it's interesting, they didn't say anything else. They could have said, Messiah, have mercy on us. They could have said, Jesus, have mercy on us. But they chose to say, Master, have mercy on us. In them calling them him Master, they are actually saying, all that we are, we lay it before you. Amen. Every area of our life belongs to you everything about us, we give it to you because that's what happens to us. When we're in trouble, we say, I give all of myself to you. But then I like what they say. They're asking for mercy. They're saying, maybe we're in this condition because we have done something wrong. We're not asking for justice. We're asking for mercy. We're asking for mercy. Maybe our faith is not strong enough. Give us mercy. Give us mercy. Give us mercy. And they press the right button because God says my messes are new every morning. And not only is God's messes new every morning, the Bible says his tender messes are new every morning. He's a God of mercy. He's a God who's aware of the outcasts. He's a God who's aware of the people who only have few days to live, few months to live. He's a God who's aware of people who have been diagnosed with incurable diseases. He is a God of, who knows and understands people whose lives are in disarray. And when you come to him, he doesn't, he doesn't look at you and push you away. He listens to you. And so Jesus listens to these men as they ask for mercy, and then he makes a statement that if you don't read the rest of the other passages, you'll not understand. And for you to understand better, I want to refer you, I won't read it though, you can read it later, to Matthew 8, verse 1 to 4, and Leviticus 4, 14 rather, verse 1 to 4. God had spelt out very clearly in the Levitical law that people who had leprosy, it would happen sometimes that they would be healed. As you know, I talked about it during the week that in the Old Testament, we have a record of two people who were healed from leprosy. It was Naaman and Miriam, the sister of Moses. But people would get healed sometimes of leprosy. And when they were healed... They were to go and present themselves to the priests and give an offering of gratitude. See, when we ask you to come and give thanksgiving offering, we are not shy-ashying you. Tell your neighbor, you are not being shy-ashy Yeah. It's a biblical practice that we need to learn to thank God, and part of showing gratitude is to give something. We're not buying God, we're not buying His blessings. But you see, money is, uh, ish. I, I think I must do my sermon, every time I talk about it, money, you, money is the measuring stick of the, how much value you place on whoever or whatever you give money to. I know I'm digressing. I like that amen. Come on. You'll never give your money to something that you don't attach value to. Amen. For that reason, how much you give to God says a lot about the value you attach to who he is. Yeah. You, you'll never put money into something that you don't value. And sometimes people say, God, take my life. They give God their heart, their mind, their everything. I'm not tithing. I'm not giving. I'm doing everything. So there was that principle that when they received their healing, they were to go and present themselves to the priest. Now watch what Jesus does. After they ask for mercy, he doesn't pray for them. He doesn't lay hands on them. He gives them an instruction to go and show themselves to the priests. They understood what he was talking about. Because them being Galileans and Samaritans had access to the Pentateuch. They understood that by implication, Jesus is saying they're already healed. You see, when you read this, you, you, you understand God's modus operandi in giving us stuff. If you're going to have a breakthrough, if you're going to see God come through for you, you have to obey his instructions. Even when you don't see the results as yet. Imagine when Jesus said to this guy, go show yourself to the priest. One of them said, hi, Chien betuna." Can't you see? How do I go to the priest in this condition? Watch this now. This is important. So Jesus responds to their plea by giving them an instruction to take a step of faith. So as they went, as they went, as they went, as, they went. You see, God will never give you everything that you need for your journey until you take a step of faith as, as, as they as they went. Jesus is telling them to take a step of faith. Jesus is, is directing them to tap into a point of contact. A point of contact is a step that when you take, it's like pulling the trigger on a gun. You can have a gun loaded with power and never be able to release the power inside of it. And there's only one thing you need to do is to pull the trigger. You'll note when Jesus prayed for people, he would always get them to pull the trigger. When they were sick, if it was a man with a withered hand, he'd say, stretch forth your hand. If it was somebody who was lying on a bed, he would say, take up your bed and walk. These are all steps of faith. And it is as they went, they were healed. Nyeshwageh. Ironically, as they realized that they were healed, we don't know how many steps it took for them to realize their healing. We don't know. But we know as they went, we don't know if it was two steps, ten steps, what happened. But as they went, they realized, hey, chance, hey, daddy, hi salio. And the guy who's a foreigner, the Samaritan, could be that maybe he was hanging out with the Galileans. No wonder it picks him up as foreigner. Maybe the other guys were Galileans. We don't know. But let's assume that they were Galileans. The nine were Galileans. These are the people to whom the Pentateuch had been addressed. These are people who knew better about the word of God than the Samaritan. But funny, the Samaritan beats them by doing something that's in the word of God when the children of the house are not obeying what God has said. And this guy, he stops. And I know it's not in the Bible, but I'm sure he said, Chance, don't you think we must go back? But these Galileans were like a lot of people in our world. People who, when they get help, they run away with what they have been given and never come back to say thank you. That this text is in the Bible, it says to us, it is not our inborn nature as human beings to be grateful. Somehow, we remember The bad done to us. But we forget the good done to us. So the nine run with the blessing. They run with what has been done to them. They take the blessing and forget the one who blessed them. They fall in love with the car and they forget the God who gave them the car. And this foreigner comes back. And I like this guy. Because when he came back, he ramps up what he did before. Remember, when they saw Jesus, they cried out with a loud voice. And this guy thought I cried out with a loud voice when I was in desperation. And now that I got what I wanted, I'm not going to have a mooted way of praying. I'm not going to start questioning whether prayer works or whether there's God or not or whether it's God in my life simply because, because there's many people who have been raised in homes where your mother used to pray for you. Your mother used to go on her knees and the reason she has brought you up as the person that you are is because she trusted Jehovah God and now that, now that on an MBA you are questioning whether God is there philosophizing about whether God is there, whether he's the right one, whether he's the one that we should pray to. What a tragedy for someone who was raised in a place that looked into the face of Jehovah God, that now they walk away from it. And they question it instead and they go to other gods and other belief systems that are strange. In the first place. And this guy decides I'm going to ramp up my my statements. And the Bible says and when he came back with a loud voice he glorified God. Not only does he glorify God with a loud voice this man is so passionate about his gratitude that he falls on his face at the feet of Jesus. He says, I don't want people to be mistaken as to who deserves the praise. My God deserves the praise. Let me tell you, I can't tell you how you must praise God, but one thing I can tell you how you praise God, it's a symbol of how much you value what he has done in your life. I can't praise God for you, you can't praise God for me. I can only praise God to the extent that I value him in my life. Can I hear an amen in the... You can't teach anybody how to praise God. It's something that emanates from their heart. It's something that comes from within them. You can't tell them what posture to take. And this man, with a loud voice, loud voice, he glorifies God. It's not a well-structured Rehearsed way of singing and praying is not something that's nice, you know No, he doesn't care whether He doesn't care who is looking, he doesn't care who's looking at him He's praising God Do we have people who don't care who's looking at them? They're gonna praise And he falls at the feet of Jesus and the wish translation says expressing his gratitude. Now, here's another thing. Jesus is really surprised that only one came back. This is important. And the one who came back happens to be Samaritan. <laughs> when the children of the house Hey, they don't come back. Now watch, Bazalon. Jesus did not see these guys when they got healed. Because when you read the text, these guys only got healed So obviously, when he gave them instructions, they turned to walk away. It's only as they went. So he never saw. When they got healed. But he says to the guy, where are the other nine? Because as far as I'm concerned, it's all the ten that got healed. You know why? Because Jesus trusts his words. Oh yeah. Come on, give him a big hand. He's, He's worth it. The same faith that God commands you to walk in is the same faith that God operates in. He doesn't have to see to know. He knows that his word is full of power. He knows that no word from God is void from power. He knows that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will stand forever. He knows that my words are spirit and are life. He knows that he upholds all things by the word of his power. He knows that. He knows that whatsoever he saith, it happens. He knows that. So you ask the question, where are the other nine? Because in Nakia it's all ten of you who got here. Yeah. Who are the other nine? Yeah. And how is it that when... Uh, you come show gratitude marabanda ba You know the biggest problem of. Growing up in a house of providence, whether it's a natural home or a spiritual home, you can so take for granted what you are receiving. No wonder children who have been raised sometimes in well resourced homes become the worst spoiled breads, the most selfish, demanding, self centered. Spoiled brats who always want to put their parents on a guilt trip, always blaming somebody. When the child next door, who was struggling, who was helped by the same parents, shows more gratitude. To people who were not with him 365 and a quarter days. To somebody who interacted with them once a month or who just gave them money from a distance. And the child next door says, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. But they but spoiled bread in the house. You know why? Because gratitude is not common with people. That's not how we're wired. That's why when you raise children, parents, you must teach them to say thank you. Teach them to say please. Teach them to say sorry. But they can't do it if you are a bad example of that yourself. Sometimes we don't have the capacity to appreciate what we have and the people around us. We don't say much about it. We are very loud when they've done wrong. We are very vocal on public platforms when they've done wrong. See, when you're raised in a place where things are working, you may take it for granted that that's how things are. So the nine have gone with the blessing. They never came back to say thank you. But unfortunately, they don't realize that they are not coming back. has disadvantaged them. Watch. The Bible says, This man who came to show gratitude before God, Jesus said to him, and let me read it in the WIS translation. Jesus says, Where are the nine? Were they not found returning to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Having arisen, be going on your way. Your faith has restored your body. Mamela. <laughs> The other nine got healed. He got healed and restored. I'll explain it to you. That word restored is important. I studied it in the Greek. It has to do with the principle of restoration. Where God brings back that which has been lost, stolen, or taken away. Why is it important to use the word restore here? Because leprosy, the disease leprosy is such that you lose your body parts. It eats your body away because of the presence of that virus. So... When Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. As they walked, they got healed. Which means the virus stopped eating their body. They got healed. But if their nose had fallen off, they didn't get a new one. Just that the virus just stopped from destroying more of their body. They they got healed. But the brother who came back. Ah, come on, give the Lord a big hand if you understand what I'm saying. Not only was he healed, he was restored. And Jesus says, your faith, meaning this, Barcelona, faith at the core, not only obeys the instruction, but faith at the core comes back to say thank you. And it is in the coming back that restoration happens. Let me explain it to you. I've seen people who've come desperately to God. And they came here and they got born again. And then they got a job. Remember, when we come here, we come as a people who are loaded with all kinds of things. Our spiritual life is off, our health is off, our relationships are off, our moral life is off, so many things are off. But how God works in our lives is to restore one area at a time. When we come to Christ, even if you may be genuinely born again, you may still find that your financial life as yet is still out of kilter. For those who don't know, Barabona, you are a sinner. Bona fella. Oh, And those who don't know, they stop, they say, Kilekomu Dimuan, two salad, Baba Chisandi Baby Liva. But they don't understand that God restores. Yeah. The problem is when they got one thing. They took the one thing, ran away with it, not understanding that what they got k the entry level. You are running away with the entry level and you fall in love with the entry level, and you start worshiping the entry level, and God is standing here and saying, "Ah, I want to pimp your right one. I don't want to give you just the entry level. I want you to have a full house. If you will just stick around, if you will just come back and say thank you, if you will stay in my house, if you will worship me. Then you get full house. I want to encourage some of you, because some of you, as you've gone through this month, there are cases and cures and you've been prayed for and you've seen definite change has happened in some areas. It's still entry level. Ah, come on, somebody. Oh, come on, somebody. Can, can, can I preach on this? 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 Mamela, 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 mamela. When you have a viral infection and you go to the doctor, they prescribe medicine, medication, and they say to you, Mama Labari, take this three times a day and finish the course. Sometimes they even prescribe another course. They may put you on that treatment for six months. Why so long? Because the the, the, the virus it could channel it has so channel a <laughs> Ah, you don't understand it. That one treatment is not going to bring restoration. It will heal you, you'll feel better, but you will not be restored. Can I hear a amen in the house? Come on, can I hear a shout in the house? Many people get confused with this because you've been a Christian for a year or two, there's still an area in your life failing out of Kiltus. stay with the prescription three times a day ah the bible says God's word is medicine it's medicine it's medicine it's medicine They take it three times a day, repeat the course. let stay in it, stay in it, stay in it, stay in it. It's been in the system of your family for a long time, it's not gonna disappear overnight. It's been the part of you for a long time. Saluru hakan, only two years. You're not gonna stop now just because. Stay in the system, stay in the system. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. This guy understands that. I mustn't take entry-level blessing and run away. I must stay for restoration. Paul understood that when he wrote to the church in Colossae. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. Hey, God has begun a good work in somebody. He has injected a new healing mechanism in your system. God has put something new in your system. Stay with it. Don't walk away. This is why for me, I'm a firm propagator of godliness staying in our generational line. When you read the story Sir Timothy, Timothy was Greek. Bible doesn't tell us about his dead. But it's very possible Timothy came from a background. Where well, they were not praying to God. But his grandmother. His grandmother, Louis. When she got hold of a child, Obiswang Eunice, this grandmother took care of this child. At least she was the first one to go to church. She was the first one who was baby. And when we follow God, they say all kinds of things. Things are not changing. Probably she just had this child, but not much happened. Just entry level blessings. Entry level blessings. Probably she passed on without seeing much. All she knew, in this Ophela. But she had to deal with other problems and other issues. But she had to deal with other problems and other issues. One owner who grew up raising hands in the church by the name of Eunice. It's a yeah. Now when she got a child by the name of Timothy, this child went further. This child didn't only run around in this church. This child ends up becoming a servant of God. God goes to a family that was far from Him, and He raises somebody in that family. But it didn't happen in one generation. It happened in many generations. Being confident. Being confident. Being confident. Being confident. Being confident, being confident of this thing that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion stay in God's things long enough until restoration time go to three people and touch them on the shoulder and say restoration time restoration restoration time restoration come on touch them on the shoulder tell them restoration time Come on, speak to them. I I see restoration time. Restoration time, restoration time. Oh, I see restoration in your family. I said, I see restoration in your family. Restoration in your finances. Restoration time. Come on, come on. Give him gratitude. Give him praise. I see restoration. Restoration, restoration. Hallelujah. Let me do it, Dr. Noaka Star. Sit down. Because I want to give you five points that will show you a practical way to show gratitude on a daily basis. Five practical ways. Number one keep a record of your blessing journal. Write down your blessings every day. It will grow your heart. And it will grow into your hearts. Remember, not all blessings are huge. Not all blessings are huge. There are certain blessings that may be very small. Whatever the blessing, practice writing it down as a form of giving thanks. What does this do? With practicing like this, it will strengthen your gratitude muscle. And you will not be like the other nine. Number two, develop a daily rhythm of thanking God for his love every morning. And thanking him for his faithfulness every evening. When you read the practices of the fathers of the early church, they had rhythms to their day that would help to keep Christ at the center of their lives. Rhythms of prayer, meditation, contemplation, singing worship songs. Develop a morning and evening rhythm of giving thanks so that it becomes a lifelong pattern. And I was thinking, oh, lady family, we need to start doing that. Just thinking about it. It's families. Psalms 92, verse 1 and 2 gives us insight. It said, Psalms 92, 1 and 2, it is good to praise the Lord and to make music to your name, O Most High. Watch. Proclaiming your love in the morning. And our faithfulness at night. Amen. So in other words, first thing when you get up in the morning, thank God for his love. Amen. And as you go to bed, thank God for his faithfulness. Amen. Make it a habit, Bazalana, to pray before you sleep. Amen. And to pray the minute you wake up. I'm not doing it as much as I used to do, but family devotions are an important thing. The family altar. Amen. Such an important practice to have it done in the home so that in the evening as you go to bed, you thank God. Thank you, Lord, for protecting us from accidents. Thank you that my car didn't break down. Thank you that when I ate food, it didn't make me sick. Thank you that my mind was bright to work and I could think creative thoughts. Thank you that I walked in healing. Thank you that the family members have come back. Never get into your car and just drive away without praying. Never eat any meal without praying. No matter how hungry you are. Should you make a mistake in eating before you pray, just say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's within me. (laughs) Number three. Record the dates of significant God encounters in your life. You'll know that every year I try to remember the date on which I got born again and I mention it. And for that whole day, I'm in reflective mode of the day I got born again, day I got filled with the Spirit, day your wedding day, your birthday, day I became pastor of the church, the day we came into this building. I've written them down. Many, many, many days, different days. The day when I was chosen to lead the church, the day when all kinds of days developed that rhythm. On this particular day, celebrate and thank God. Remember, with the children of Israel, God instructed the children of Israel to celebrate the seven feasts. All these seven feasts talked. Two, the God encounters they had had. The first feast being the feast of Passover was to remind them the night when the angel of death passed over in Egypt. And God wanted them to memorialize it. God wanted them to institutionalize it. I think we live in a culture that is so taken by newness and freshness and starting and pioneering that people today never want to connect to their past. They never want to credit anybody in their history. Even when they succeed and you listen to them making a speech, they will never acknowledge anybody. Okay. Because that leads me to my next point. Forgive those who have hurt you. Anybody who never said thank you to you, forgive them. I think one of the most valuable lessons I've learned as a pastor, you know, in my own youthfulness and my lack of knowledge as a young pastor, I just assumed that if you become a good pastor and you give your best to serve people, at least people will be nice. Now, I wasn't expecting people to give me any money. It's never been what I expected or what I wanted. Okay, it's never. And I've never demanded anybody's money, right? But at least people can say thank you. Yeah. At least. Because some people, we walked a long way with them. You help them, you help their children, you, you subsidize their kids, go school home, you made special, you spoke to people, influenced other people to receive them. We've worked with people who started churches, give them money, do this, all kinds, many, over the years, many. We never talk about it and never tell you about it because, you know, Jesus says, let not your right hand know what your left hand is doing, so do it in private. But you were hoping that these people, hi say. You understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you, you're hoping, you're hoping, about le lady, whatever it's about now or they are now well-resourced and they know whatever, you're hoping that they would be kind to you. Not in giving you anything, but they'll be kind to you. This is why I've often wondered why, and I've asked some of the churches around that I've seen the second generation of leaders coming in where there's totally no acknowledgement of the founders. I've never understood that. That's never done. Companies will acknowledge who the founders are. And save people, yeah. Even political parties Mandela, Robert Sobukwe. Christian people, particularly charismatic Christians, are the only dump group that never ever wants to acknowledge the people. And I see these young, arrogant pastors. Raised in churches, taught in churches, they were given an opportunity to the <laughs> announcement That was their first training to, of public speaking. I'm telling you. Yeah. We assigned them to a cell group to lead a cell group so that they learn what to pastor is. We put them in Kairos and taught them. We traveled with them, gave them books, preached sermons like this.) <laughs> yeah I know I know but not even one acknowledgement so I'm just trying to say Bazalona some of you in your families you help your family members you are the first one when they're in crisis you are the first one but the minute by me come out, they zing zong you you know what zing zong means So, here's what I want to say to you. Protect your heart. (laughs) One day I was very, very, I was very hurt by this in my early days. And someone who's, you know, people will start claiming other spiritual fathers and calling other people their mentors. And when you walk with them for 15, 20 years, they are calling that other. Last week, that's my spiritual father there. <laughs> and I'm sitting here, I'm steaming you. Oh, I was angry. I was angry. I said, God, how can they? How can they? How can they? And God said, Well, it's not a natural trait for people to be grateful. There are people who, just the way they work, is who is their next stepping stone. So when they've stepped on you, like that Advaita Rama. How many of you know that Advaita Rama when these two kids got up the ladder, sat on the roof of the house eating Rama, and they kicked the stair out. They kicked the stairs. Because the stair has got me to where I need to get. I don't need it anymore. And then the next thing they realized, they needed to... They needed to come down because it doesn't matter how high you go, you must change your here. And by the way, as they were sitting there eating Rama, they were criticizing their mother. Or, oh, you know, our mother is this, our mother is this, and they are criticizing their mother. And then they kicked their step, their step ladder by mistake. And guess what happened thereafter? <laughs> Who did they call? <laughs> yeah. That's what they do to you. You only see them once they get it. They only come to you for prayer. And after they dispute the fact that it's God who healed them. And so here's what I want to say to you. Protect your heart. What do I mean? This is what I decided years ago. I'll never expect anybody to thank me. I'm not expecting it. Amen. For that reason, when I do what I do, I, I do it as unto the Lord. That's what the Bible says. It, says. it says, in everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. What does it mean? What does it mean? I'm saying, I'm doing it as unto the Lord because God will reward me for it. They don't have to say thank you. If they say thank you, it's a plus. But if they don't say thank you, I'm still all covered. I'm not even going to ask. I won't even ask. No, it's okay. I'm not expecting it. You know how many, you know, if you don't expect it, you don't get hurt when it's not done. But you get very blessed when it's done because you're not expecting it. You know what that will do? It will protect your heart. Why? Because when you get mistreated like that, you end up saying, I will never help anybody again. Imagine if God was to be like that. Don't allow your character of being a good generous person to be twisted yeah. by rogue people. Yeah. However, oh. learn yeah. there are people like yeah. how about Tusa utusa kanya nyane fela ka re wa batseba. They've been ban tsaba ka di machala that they are i so by Allah, lauva kadima. In your heart, urrefela keba filayon. Owe da baetisi, rava baetisi. Keba. Now there are people like that. La baran kadime kere. Keba afah. Keba balele maramo pelunkiru kufileyon. Because I was about to put you in the ward. How many of you are sitting next to somebody like that right now? I was yashuma ya lamange. You see. Gratitude is not a natural thing with people. So we need to train ourselves, these things that we're doing. Train yourself to be grateful. So protect your heart. Protect your heart. And the offset is remember how much God has loved you and cared for you. That will help you. We, we, we do so many wrong things and we come to God with the same thing a thousandth time. Can you imagine God at a high man? Yes. Ten years ago, on the 3rd of May, you were here. How would you feel like if God was to say that to you? But his messes are new. God treats you like it's the first time and he gives you mercy. Jesus said it, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Protect your heart. And finally, as we conclude, listen to worship music. That will prompt your thanksgiving. Music and worship music is a great tool to prompt our praise and thanksgiving. And I must confess, I must lambulula myself. I don't like my music soft. I really want to hear it, I want it to go into my heart. As a result, when, when I have a car, I. You know, some of the cars, their music system is not. You know, like I can hear it, it's like a. So I always want to pimp my ride. I want to hear it. Why? Because let me tell you. In days when things are falling apart, On days when you are tempted to ask God questions that you shouldn't be asking. On days when your feelings have gone haywire and there's a voice out here that's saying, why don't you curse God and die? That's days when I want my praise. I just love to surround myself with music and sing along and worship and thank God. What does it do? It develops a thankful heart. I know not all of us are wired to be singing people when we are ourselves by ourselves. But surround yourself with an atmosphere like that. Let's hear your cow. bishop, <laughs> And it's not house. It's not I'm a piano. It's gospel music. Where you praise God with all your heart. Come on now, somebody. Come on. And this is why now you'll understand, Bazalana, why? I make such a big issue when we come to church and I see us praise God with an entry-level mentality. And I say, this is not it. The music group knows. How about I call them to the back. They are leaders, Kirimara, what is this thing? in This is not how we praise God. We must be decided, Bazalon, that when it comes to our God, we will be like the Samaritan. We'll do it with a loud voice. We'll do it with passion we will do it without holding back. Because I can tell you, praise is the voice of faith. Praise is an expression of victory. When when Joshua went to besiege Jericho, God told him, don't let the army be the one that leads the parade. I want you to see the power of praise. Get the priests to walk in front with the ark of the covenant hoisted on their shoulders. Get the Levites, the musicians to sing praises and worship to God. But then when you get to Jericho, all go quiet and surround the city for seven days. And on the seventh day, surround it seven times. And on the seventh time, let the praises ring unto me. Because it's as we praise God, as we show gratitude, that the walls of Jericho come down in our lives those things that have been standing there and they are telling you I'm not moving they are telling you I'm not going to get healed it's a sickness, it's a disease that tells you I'm not going to get healed it's a bondage that tells you I'm not going to let go of you you don't need to pray anymore you don't need to fast anymore you don't need to bind anymore all you need is to raise your hands to God and give glory to God forevermore All you need is to say, thank you, God, for who you are in my life. Many people haven't understood the power of praise. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. What does it mean? If you want God to show up, if you want God to come through for you, if you want to see God at work, just begin to praise him. If you want to see the walls of Jericho coming down. If you want to see the deliverance of God coming through. If you want to see restoration in your life. Just begin to praise God. Many people in our church have received their healing and their deliverance when they were praising God. They didn't even realize when the cancer disappeared. They didn't even realize when the high blood disappeared. They didn't even realize when their sore body was healed. They only realized afterwards because they were so taken up. They were so wrapped up. They were so enthused. So wound up in a spirit of prayer. And in a spirit of praise. And you and I, We're not going to be the other nine. We're going to be that good Samaritan. Shall we stand on our feet and give the Lord the biggest hand of praise that we ever have given him? of the Lord. Just remain standing for a while, please. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. You can put your hands down for now. Hallelujah. Oh, you're worthy. If you're here for the first time today, and this might not be your first time, but you've come here, you've been invited, you've come on your own, or you've been here before, but You haven't yet received Jesus Christ in your life to be the savior of your life, change you, transform you. You never ever remember praying a prayer where you invited Jesus to come into your heart. You may pray, you may go to church, but you don't remember making that commitment. And today as you are listening to God's word, you realize how much God loves you and how much God cares for you. And you really want to invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior and your Lord. Our heads bowed, please, and our eyes closed. If you are here this morning and you want to invite Jesus Christ into your life, into your heart, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Jesus doesn't judge anybody. Jesus comes to us as a people who are afar off. that society has judged and has said a lot about But he reaches out his loving hands and invites you in. He said when he spoke, come unto me all you who are heavily laden I will give you rest. Take my yoke for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites you to come to him. He invites you with arms that are wide open. He doesn't judge you. He doesn't look at your background. Doesn't matter how much wrong you've committed. No matter how people think you don't deserve it. You're an outcast. He's a God who loves and who cares for you. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. If you say, Bishop, please, I, I need prayer. Really, my life is not where it should be. It's not right before God. But I really need Jesus to come into my heart and change me and make me a child of God. Will you please pray for me, Bishop? Yes, I want to pray for you. I want to invite you where you stand. If you are the one who needs the prayer, would you please just indicate to me by raising your hand right where you are so that I can pray with you. You want to invite Jesus into your life, into your heart. Thank you for those hands. Raise them up. Keep them raised. All over this auditorium, keep it raised. Only God. Only God. Only God. Only God. May I ask all those who raise their hands, I want to pray for you. This is such an important decision you are making. It's such a life-changing decision that you're making. I want to invite you, please, to come from where you are and just come to the front so that I can pray with you. And as you do, take all your belongings, please. Don't leave your belongings behind. Just take all your belongings and just walk to the front.